This week, it has been eventful to say the least. I never thought that I would witness the chaos, the chaos that ensued on Wednesday. A gang of hooligans managed to barge into the education building, caused a stir by disrupting classes and disturbing crucial meetings. Things turned for the worse, though. Somehow they made their way from the education building into this building and started threatening the choir. It was a moment of sheer panic and chaos, and we did not know what to do. But thankfully, thankfully, Pastor Paula, quick-witted, whipped out her phone, recorded the entire incident so we could provide the police with a detailed report of what had happened, including... Images of the instigators. been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, in which Jesus shows up and announces, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. But how do you describe to a child what the kingdom of God is like? So Pastor Paula showed them a video clip from Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, I Have a Dream, and explained how people marched in protest and sang, we shall overcome. And these people were living out the command, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So our children took protest signs that said, I have a dream, and wrote their own dreams on the protest signs. And those who couldn't write with words drew pictures. Some of their dreams for which they protested were ones you would expect from children. I have a dream of jelly beans. I have a dream of a house. I have a dream to sing of love. I have a dream in which blacks and whites go to school together forever. I dream of visiting my grandfather in heaven and having dinner with him. It's so right. I think some of our kids get it. The world is not the way it should be. Righteousness, right relationships with one another, right relationships with God that overflow into our relationships with one another means that there should never be a time when a child is not allowed to go to school, the same schools together because of the color of their skin. It is right to recognize that the world is not as it should be. Even missing grandparents is not how it should be. These children remind us to keep on praying and living the prayer at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unfortunately, we are usually more interested in playing games based on fear 
than in living, living like we are already part of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God has drawn near, we are more likely to play games like Battleship. Anybody remember that name? That game, yeah? Anybody remember that game where you, your opponent can't see your board, you can't see the opponent's board, you start counting, uh, listing out locations, and you are trying to sink your opponent's fleet before they can sink yours. It is like a game of hiding and attacking, like, like we do in relationships, like we hide our feelings, our vulnerability, rather than risk the condemnation of others, like the way we respond, react when attacked, launching torpedoes, launching torpedoes in response to any angry word, any time we think we've been mistreated. Oh, even so, there's nothing better than hearing an opponent say, you sunk my battleship. I have a dream. I have a dream, the children wrote. I have a dream not to be a winner, not to sink other people's battleships before they can sink mine, not to dream of a place where I win and you lose, but to dream of right relationships, right relationships in which we all know God and which we all know and love and care for one another. The Old Testament takes a step for that. When the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it is a time in which you shame one person by hurting a member of their family. They'll come back at you not just by, by hurting the instigator, but hurting everyone else in that village. An, an, an affront is seen as an affront to the whole family, and so it demands vengeance. To say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was to put a limit to put a limit on retribution, on reaction to violence. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm offering another way, another way, a way that does not look like retaliation to your enemies, but something more. Now, some people look at the examples Jesus gives of, of how to respond when there is unfair situations, uh, how to respond when we feel like we're taking advantage of. Some people look at these and they think, well, Jesus just wants us to, to fall down, to roll on our backs, to, to just give up the moment a bully approaches. Uh, examples like if someone slaps your cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone hurts you, well, offer them another way to hurt you. Someone takes your coat, someone takes advantage of you, well, go ahead and give everything else you've got. Someone forces you to go a mile, well, walk a second mile. Is, well, walking's good for you. No. No, Jesus is talking about a different way. A different way in which in the situations where there is hierarchy, we find a way to love our enemies, 
by letting them see how this situation of power is corrupting them. It is not a meek way in the way we normally think of meek. It's actually a more biblical version of meek and humble. You know know that, that the two people described as most humble in the Bible are Moses and Jesus. And I don't think of Moses shouting to Pharaoh, let my people go, as being particularly meek. And I don't think of Jesus turning tables in the temple as being someone who, well, you knock him down, he's going to stay down so you can keep on kicking him. No, no. Jesus offers ways that, that are thoughtful and thought-provoking and provide a space in which instead of destroying enemies and winning the battle, there's a possibility of healing, a possibility of a new way for everyone in this situation. We are not meant to be in a world of hierarchy in which which one person has power over control over another. That happens after the fall. There's no hierarchy until God, God explains that because of the fall, man will, will, will be dominating over the, the, the woman. There's no hierarchy. And when people take power and abuse it, that is not, that is not the kingdom of God. The first example, the first case that, that Jesus gives of, a, of another way, a, another way is, is what if someone slaps your cheek? Case one, someone slaps your cheek. I am looking for the person that it would be most shocking for me to slap. That would be you, Tina. Come on, give me a hand, please. No one in this congregation would feel good about me slapping you. So if you'll just stand right here so everybody can see you when I slap you. Okay? So, so what Jesus says is if someone slaps your right cheek, turn to them the other. Well, I'm going to just slap your right... That's not your right cheek, though, that I'm... Okay, so I've got to maybe come around this way to slap your right... I don't think that's what he's talking about either. I think perhaps he's talking about... This is your right cheek? Okay. This. Very good. You should, you should, you, you should be on wrestling. Because the only way that I can slap your right cheek with my right hand, and and this is a culture in which you do not use your left hand other than for unclean actions. Uh, So so you would slap, the only way you can slap a right cheek with your right hand is in a demeaning way, a a way that is meant to say, I'm the one in authority and you're not. I am the Roman, you are the Jew. I am the parent, you are the child. I am the man, you are the woman. I am the, the, the parent, you are the child. This is a situation in which you have to do what I say and I disrespect you. Now, suppose you turn your cheek towards me, towards me, 
turn it so the other cheek, and now to slap you. It's very difficult. Your nose gets in the way. (laughs) And the only way that I can slap you is to slap you the way I would if I were really going into battle with you as an equal. And so by turning the cheek, you've risked making me extremely angry so that I really do want to slap you. But you've done it in such a way that I have to recognize you as an equal. It's a taste of the kingdom of God to allow that person to see the consequences of hierarchy, how their treatment of others is hurting their own soul. To turn the other cheek. It may not be a violent action just to turn your cheek, but it's dangerous. It might provoke a response by a person who could do you great harm. And yet, and yet it asserts you're a person of God, a person of worth. I demand to be treated like a real person. Thank you very much. The second case, someone sues you in court for your coat. Give them your shirt. Deuteronomy also teaches us that we can, that you can use as collateral, even your coat. When you've lost everything else, when you no longer have a way to pay off your debts, you can, you can, as a last resort, use your own coat as collateral. The coat that you wrap up in at night, the coat that's one of the two pieces of clothing you have left. And someone takes you to court There's really only one reason why someone would take you to court over a coat. Because in those cases, when you do use a coat as collateral, you can't keep it overnight. Someone might need that to stay warm in the night. Here is someone that's taking a debtor to court and saying, that coat belongs to me, and I'm going to make you come and get it every night, but during the daytime, it belongs to me. And it's a symptom of a society in which people are not caring for one another. A society in which taxation is heavy and it is a hard life and they are supposed to be a community of God, a community that cares for one another and yet someone in this community is, is asking for a coat as collateral rather than just giving in love, rather than waiting and helping. And Jesus says, in this case, in which society is broken to this degree, you got one thing left. You've just lost the coat on your back. 
The only thing you have left is the undergarment. Take it off and give them that too. And walk through the town naked. Because really there are only two items of clothes in this society. Walk through the town naked. And when everybody asks what is going on, explain. Explain about this creditor who makes you return a coat every night. Who follows the letter of the law. And yes, it is their right to do so. But it's demeaning and humiliating. It's not going to make him pay off any earlier. The third case, the third case, someone compels you to go a mile. Go with them too. That someone would be the Roman occupied forces who have the right to force anyone they find to carry their pack for a mile. There are literally mile markers on the road as to marking out a mile. And a Roman soldier has the right to take that 65 to 85 pound bag and say, you, you, you're going to carry it for me for a mile. Who has the right to do it for one mile? Andy, would you give me a little bit of help here? This? You. You want to be the soldier or the, or the, the peasant? The peasant. Okay. All right. So I will be the soldier and I will place my heavy backpack on you. It's heavy, isn't it? 65, 85 pounds, and let's go for a mile. And the whole time, I'm expecting you to grumble because if someone were to put their backpack on me, that's exactly what I would do is to, to grumble, and you're getting lower as we go through time because this is really heavy. And, and so there, there we are walking a mile down the road, and we get to the mile marker, and it's time for me to unwillingly take my backpack, and instead, you keep on going. And there we are walking along, and you've got my backpack, and it's been more than a mile, and I'm starting to wonder who sees this. Do they think that I am forcing her to carry my backpack? Because if they think that I'm forcing her to carry my backpack for two miles, I'm in trouble with my commanding officer. I'm in trouble, and I'm wondering, okay, is she going to report this to the commanding officer myself? And if this goes on for too long, well, there could be flogging. There could be a fine. Thank you. <laughs> but to create a space to say, this is wrong. This is wrong. To force someone to do this work. To take away their livelihood. They want to be working in the fields and instead you've, 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 you've taken them and, and forced them to do this work for you. To create a space in which perhaps even the enemy recognizes that this system is wrong. It is a different way, a better way. We called leaders up to the, the front of the congregation, and really that's what we want from our leaders. 
Someone who says, no, we don't have enough resources. No, we don't have enough money. No, we don't have enough time, enough volunteers. But what about another way? A Jesus way. A way of being God's people. It is, it is a way of recognizing the, the injustice that is out there. And then like the children marching, marching. Like those who sat in white-only cafeterias or tried to check into white-only hotels. you got to treat me like an equal. you got to treat me like a person. It is a glimpse, a glimpse of what could be this kingdom of God that could be when we say, I will be done. When we say, no more on earth the way it is, it needs to be more like heaven.